0: it's really really important to understand as creatives and um, and artists as well that our job is just 50 percent and what I mean by that is I think it is our job to when we are in creation literally create as if we are on the moon and no one will ever see it and to just be in one singular conversation with the art and the creativity that is there. And if we can do that and pull forward the the absolute guts and the honesty and the truth of what is moving and what is inside of us, um, I think that's the most impactful art, the most successful art as well that I've ever made. And the other 50% of art is once you release it, hit publish, hit send, put something out into the world. The second that you do that, you're done. And the other fifty percent is what belongs to the world. So other people will then take what you have created and experience themselves through it. And they will. They will. We're always looking for ourselves and everything, and to create meaning and to have purpose as human beings. So we're really done after we release it.
1: Welcome to the Art and Life podcast with your host Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us in all directions from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create, listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art & Life Facebook group where you get notified of fresh episode drops, You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com, the contact page. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support me on Patreon. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today, we've got an all-star. I am pumped on this uh, this episode. It's been in the mix, in the works for months now, many months now, so I'm very excited to have this guest. Yana Robinson, thanks for being on the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pumped on this. We, uh, we met at this um, event at an organic farm that we both like, and yeah, I got to talking, and it seemed like it would be a, a great fit for an interview. So happy to have you here um why don't we start with uh the basics who you are where you're from how you got to where you're at and what it is that you do with your life
0: yeah that sounds all those sound good Uh, i'll go one at a time and uh so my name is yana and um you know i sometimes we read our biographies which are full of all of the important shit that we've done in our life that make people care about what we have to say and um i think starting with why we get out of bed in the morning is much more beautiful, more meaningful. Um, I have done cool things. There, there are, there are cool things, but um, I get out of bed every single day because I believe deeply that every single human being belongs in the way that they are. And my why at the heart of everything is um, I think that we are in suffering because we are not our unique, authentic selves. And so there's, I work as a poet yes i write books sassy feminist beat books this is for the woman who don't give a fuck first one there's cobwebs on her vagina is my second book um thinking of going a little less sassy on the next one like maybe i will never be a well-behaved woman um and uh, i also coach work in personal development speak make films all kinds of art but At the heart of all of it is, I think that we run around in circles, trying to exist and belong. And the real belonging that we're really hungry for is just being who we are. So I write honest, relatable, transparent, open, shocking poems um, with the desire to bring people into the knowledge that all of them belongs. And I also work as a coach and facilitator with the premise of truth and just pulling our truth and our guts forward being the key to liberation and just untrapping ourselves. So that's my why and uh, <laughs> and I am from Canada. I was born in Whitehorse in the Yukon and um, was raised by two moms. And I think that's probably why I value transparency and honesty and openness as much as I do. Um, the world i'm building i want it to be safe to say anything so just more honesty more openness um that's a little bit of who i am and i live in encinitas we yeah we met at that concert which was really beautiful and i've been down here for six years and i love it i miss the wildness of canada there's definitely not enough wildness down here <laughs> Um, but, uh, there's warmth and pelicans and waves. So, um, and then your second question was where I got to, where I, how I, my journey into being an artist, correct?
1: Yeah. 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 Your, your journey, how you got to Canada from Canada to here, but also I like that you took that in like, a, you know, <laughs> being an artist. So dive in either one, both.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh. We'll start with kind of, I think my journey with my, my work and my art and, um, yeah, we can talk about geography being the geography and how I ended up here as well, but I have been writing poems since I was in grade three and have always loved writing as a form of art and expression and, um, tried to write punk song lyrics as a kid and tried to be a travel writer, which I was absolutely horrendous at. Um, I got rejected by probably a 100 travel magazines because I am through and through a nonfiction writer. And my personal experience is always the story. So all these travel magazines were like, can you just write about the desert in Australia. And I'd be like, no, I want to talk about what I learned in the desert. <laughs> so um, I'm really glad that when I was rejected, when I was 21, and kind of starting to take it seriously of building a career as an artist that I didn't just give up, because I think it's easy when we try a context and aren't received to give up. So i um, not a travel writer. And that was a fun exploration. Um, I traveled for Nine years all over the world, and um, really love experiencing cultures and having lots of experiences, but I have learned that that's been more of a a personal piece and um started to share write writing as remember notes on Facebook. Do you remember those <laughs> back in the day um started to share some personal notes there and, um, and then got the courage to submit my writing to Elephant Journal was the very first publication I wrote for and journal being in their name, being a nonfiction writer was, it was a good place for me. And um, yeah, and I started as an artist with very soft, sweet fluffy words and then found more and more boldness in my voice the more that i wrote and um you know i would write articles like the top 10 t's to make it through the winter and um i started wanting to think about when i wrote it was what does the world want to hear or what will do well in this world when i started in 2013 and that evolved deeply um when i realized that the most powerful art we write like we're on the moon and no one will ever read it and i think that it's really about tuning in from that in to out rather than out to in which is what started to put my art into the eyes of more people um honest art (laughs) and uh so that was um yeah i started to really get momentum um in 2014 And uh, this is kind of timely with everything that's happening in the world, but the first truly honest article that I ever wrote was an article, I had an abortion in 2014, and I wasn't planning to write about it, but I was laying in bed the day after the procedure and this piece flowed out of me, which covered my whole process in my body and with people and of just the entire journey of realizing i was pregnant and going through the actual procedure itself and the neutrality and the non-neutrality um conversations with mentors and there was a lot of guts inside of it there was um i got deeply deeply open and vulnerable and You know, at first my boobs got big and I was like, woohoo, you know, like (laughs) boob spurt. And I'm like, oh, shit, that doesn't happen when you're 24. (laughs) That's not happening in my life. Um, And then, you know, sitting with my beliefs that showed up. I remember I I was in the process of living in Edmonton, Alberta in Canada and deciding to really go for it. And I had just quit all of my jobs and my whole life was in my car and I was about to move to a tiny cabin. On the Sunshine Coast of BC to intern with a filmmaker. So I was in this huge transition moment and I realized I was pregnant. And all of these beliefs showed up that I got to be with around I can't be a mother and run a business, which isn't true. Many people are run businesses and are, are mothers. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with a doctor who told me that I shouldn't have an abortion and that I would regret it. And um, you know, I looked at him in the face and just said, that is so not a medical opinion. And, uh, and was like, if I was a 14 year old who didn't know who I was, this could have been really damaging. Um, and even my, I have a shamanic, um, hypnotherapist coach I've worked with for 10 years and she led me through the morning before my procedure and a, I don't know. To call it I don't want to use the word ceremony because that's gross and new agey but we went through a, a session where I sat um you don't know we don't know when the soul enters the body you know there's a lot of discrepancy about that and part of my process was if there was a soul it had showed up wanting to have a conversation with it and um and so I shared about those parts as well and many women since then have came up to me and said it's been really helpful for them. And they've done the same pieces there, which has been beautiful. And, um, but I wrote this piece and it was terrifyingly honest. Um, and I, I I was scared with how honest it was. I remember it coming out and being like, you know, there's some shit you don't even want to write in your journal. And that was, (laughs) it was like, that was one of them. And so I decided to sit with it. Um, and to not look at it for at least thirty days, to really make sure that I was sharing it for the right reasons, and I didn't want to share it to bash my ex boyfriend or for attention. Um, you know, vulnerability is beautiful. I think when there's clean intentionality behind it, and um, I so I sat with it, and at the end of the thirty days, I decided that I was going to share it because there was so much shame in our world um around the deeply human experiences that so many of us walk and shame is the one of the heaviest emotions we can carry as human beings um and in my process I'd realized people in my immediate family had had abortions and never shared it and it was just like this cathartic experience of um you know with each when with finding the courage to share it with each person, realizing how many other people had had that same experience, um, and I at first was just going to publish it on Elephant Journal because there were seventeen million readers, and I, I you know, that felt safe because they were all anonymous, and I wasn't going to run into them in a coffee shop in Edmonton and have gone to high school with them, and uh, I ended up choosing to share it on all of my platforms um and i remember the exact moment that i got the email saying congratulations your article has been published here's the link and it was raining there was rain dripping off of the prayer flags in my woodshed and i remember looking and just feeling so absolutely complete in my process and so at peace with my choice that i knew that it didn't matter what came at me from the world that i could handle it and um When I shared it, I got the full spectrum from woman of the year and deep love and appreciation in my community to the first man I slept with, who was deeply religious, called me a murderer in the comment section. So um, and I also got 300 comments, messages and emails from women, and um, one of them said I was 15 and my father dropped me off at the clinic and told me not to tell anyone not even my mom and um, I'm 40 and you're the first person that I'm telling. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be the shame exorcist. <laughs> I'm going to be the really fucking honest writer. I, I, I made a commitment to, um, yes, write. I love the writing that I do that is just art for art. But also I made a commitment in that moment to teach through my life and so whether that is poetry or working with clients um there's nothing that you can't ask me um and there's just deep openness I will set boundaries if I don't want to talk about something but there's just this um commitment that I've made um and I worked with Gay Hendricks for many years and he is the same piece of I'm going to let some of the art that I teach the world be the experiences of my life and um and so that was a starting point of me feeling more on purpose and having understanding I think around um, what turned into more of the coach facilitator speaker and putting a pulse and a, a finger on the pulse of what I think human beings are really hungry for and that evolved into me spending six hours a day responding to comments and emails and then coaching and um, and I've done all kinds of things hosted retreats internationally um, held workshops worked with translators um, large digital programs with 800 people in them Um, i've really been throwing a lot of spaghetti on walls and and playing around with how to give those gifts to the world and um and it's it's been beautiful and i'm also in another transition um right now which is which is nice as well of I I joke that I have a Tony Robbins part and a Mary Oliver part. And um, I kind of want to hang out with my Mary Oliver part a little more and write poems about grasshoppers. (laughs) So um, I don't know if you can relate at all, but just the entrepreneur and the artist and balancing the part that needs to make money and that needs to do left brain parts. And then also our artist who needs to creatively loaf and, have spaciousness to be able to open up to receive the stories or the paintings or the art that we need to make. And um, so, yeah, I'm in like in deep transition right now, like total cocoon chrysalis. And I was really suffering around it. And then I realized you don't have to suffer through transitions. And I was like, oh yeah, transitions can be full of joy and color and, and, and so now it's been feeling a bit lighter the last few weeks of just that all we ever really do is evolve and um, it can suck evolving, but we're doing it all the time anyways.
1: Yeah, wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, there's so much.
1: You just yeah. hit seven home runs in a row. That was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, I can completely understand and relate to you know the having to make money and live in this three-dimensional reality and then also wanting the space to just like let your creative artist um flow and and that's like part of what it is to be an artist in a capitalist society is yeah. we have to make sure that our um our finances are taken care of and our our we have a roof over our head and everything's good and um yeah I'm kind of in a, a space of I'm in a space of just like pushing on the gas pedal as hard as I can, like building up the business so that I can create more freedom in the flow. Um, And that was awesome. And like one thing that you said brought up a really cool visual. I was just imagining somebody like, like all the entrails of a person just like thrown at a canvas and then watching them just sort of drip down and, and like, like that's what it must feel like. You're like, putting yourself fully on display. I mean, it's like what you're talking about is like a sacrifice of the self for the art. And like that is the art. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I I love that. And that's, it's very true. And um, I've actually had a desire to like paint like that before. So I also really enjoyed that, like that just throwing different pieces and, and I've done tons of trauma and personal development work and know that we do need to hold things inside sometimes before we share them, those little pieces to the world. And that's also a dance of um, timing, you know, when, when it feels okay to share things, but uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And what you said about um, taking that 30 days to really just examine your own intentions with it. And you said, um, you know, vulnerability it can be so powerful and, and it can be amazing when it's done with the right intentionality. Um, I think a lot of time, sometimes people are vulnerable, especially these days, like vulnerability is almost like trending. It's
0: being um, prostituted. <laughs> yes, and <celebrated>. Exactly.
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so like the intention isn't right there, but when it is done right, like it can be so powerful and and as as an artist you're you're like you're yeah you're sacrificing yourself, you're making you're putting yourself out there and, so that other people can connect with that mm-hmm. part of themselves
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow and i agree I really agree with what you said around you know uh Deanne Whalen, one of my mentors. I think I showed you her film, she was the one walking across Canada. she says we used to live in a society and now we live in an economy and another big truth i've been dismantling and being with um is really that truth of how much individualism is in our world right now and and i feel like there's a bit of a shift happening for people in values i feel like there's more of a desire for chickens um (laughs) <laughs> to live in communities, uh, to sit under trees, to have a little less personal development. And um, like, I do feel like there's a shift happening in people right now um, into a different space. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting just being a human being in consumerism and capitalism. And then also to be an artist when, um, I mean, some people make a lot of money with their art. That can be true and um and also sometimes it's challenging and uh yeah poetry is really easy to make a lot of money with oh yeah (laughs) um that's but there, there are poets who make money i don't want to say that but um yeah it's an interesting conversation to have with ourselves of how much to give to you know the hierarchy of needs our basic needs that we need and then to um to the art
1: Yep, um, one thing you said I'm curious about. So why you said that you were really like spunky with your first two books and now you're thinking about backing off slightly. Why, why are you think, thinking about doing that?
0: Actually, I don't know if that's entirely true, um, but I, I've i had to publish with indie publishers because I won't star the word fuck on my book. Um, Part of how I teach is boldness and shock value right now. I may be going through an Annie DeFranco phrase and like I'll phase and I'll just, you know, soften out at some point, but a little bit punk rock right now. Um, I had thought to call one book Mice Do Not Deserve to Sleep in the Same Sheets as Queens. Kind of like that title. Mm-hmm. Um But I title my books off of poems I've written. So this is for the woman who don't give a fuck and there's cobwebs in her vagina are definitely the boldest poem titles I've ever written. So I will never be well-behaved woman uh, is another one that's just like a little softer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was
0: thought like, I was thought don't marry a rich guy could be a good title. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, these, these are all good. I think yeah. you're on a good track here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, maybe walk us through your your creative process a little bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, I kinda wanna change my creative process a little bit. I feel like there's a, a part of me that's gotten really lazy and just writes poems in the notes section of my phone. Um, but, I, you know, I was listening to a great uh, interview with Mary Oliver on the On Being podcast and she would go walk with a notebook and a pen I'm also friends with Tyler Knott, the poet, and he actually writes on a typewriter. And I've been feeling the need for the simplicity of writing in a space where there's just one thing going on. So um, I've been feeling into that quite a bit, but I think that our creative process is our whole life. You know, there's, we are absorbing, I heard something recently between, I think between the ages of three and seven, kids can't tell the difference between what's on a TV and actual reality. And I just think about our whole lives and everything that we're consuming and seeing and how, you know, people are having dreams about Prince or Johnny Depp because they're watching them on their Instagram. And all of that is going into our subconscious. And and I think that one of the things I've learned as an artist is there is this subconscious and uh, mary oliver calls it like a silky whispery part of ourselves that is always paying attention and i think that this part of us needs to feel safe and it needs to have space to really come out to say the parts and the things um that are the good stuff you know and if we're not i think we have to create trust with that part of ourselves i i started to work on a, a book um, a memoir of finding, not a full memoir, more like a nonfiction narrative of the journey of finding my father um, when I was 21. And I made a commitment with my writing coach to stop sharing. I was sharing parts on social media. And she was like, don't do that. Cause that part of you needs to know it's still uncovering what the story is. And it needs to know that it's safe to come out. And if you're in that process and bring an audience in, you're not building trust with that part of you. And so I think it's a combination of there's a relationship we create with that part of ourselves. And there's also, um, I have a friend who's a comedian and writes scripts. And I purposely don't schedule calls until 1 p.m. most of the time. Sometimes there'll be exceptions. But when I wake up in the morning, it's important to have flow state it's, and I don't do the same morning routine. I'm not rigid. Sometimes I do breath work. Sometimes I cold plunge. Sometimes I surf. Sometimes I sit and look at butterflies with my dog in the park. Um, I used to have a rigid self-care regime and now I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to wake up. And if I want to drink three cups of espresso, I do, uh, listen to Drake, (laughs) 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 more fluidity, less like sometimes self-care routines are so much about like fear and rigidity, you know, and it's that trust of, letting ourselves flow. And so part of my creative process is self-care in whatever form that looks like. And um, having the time for the first part of the day to unravel and whether I'm showing up for this podcast with you or a meeting or writing, working on a book, um, there's this, this foreplay of having spaciousness and doing nothing to be able to get into a space to have anything to say. And so that's another thing that we need as artists that can be hard when we have other things that need us is creating time with nothingness in it and real nothingness, you know, the the ability to just sit up and look at the sky. And, um, and I think that there's a, a painter, a friend of mine is a painter and he'll stare up at the ceiling and just like stare at the ceiling for a long time, like a blank canvas and just, see what'll show itself to him and that's part of his process <laughs> so yeah. um yeah i think and i think that i i have some i'm i'm in a process of needing to bring more intentionality into my creative process because running a business has taken precedence the last three years over my art and so i'm currently just rebalancing those parts a little bit as well
1: yeah i forget what book it was but there was- some writer that talked about the illusion of balance and that we all think that we can have this like nice structured balance and we have like you know time with family and friends and we have time for work and we have time for this and we do it every single day and blah blah, blah and he's like that's bullshit there's no David way
0: White? David White's book
1: maybe what, what was it called
0: the three marriages he essentially was like balance is an illusion <laughs>
1: Ah, no I don't think it was that one I don't but but it was the same same concept it's like Mm -hmm. uh this this writer was saying like no life is out of balance and what you're what you're just always trying to do is to find the balance that you need at this moment yeah you know like you go all in with your business stuff and then and then you get out of balance that way and then you have to come back to your art and then you go all in that way and maybe it's just for an hour but then you go there and then you're like oh I gotta eat now you know, like, it's not like you're eating constantly, like one bite at a time while you're making your art, while you're doing your business, while you're doing your whatever. It's like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: by design, it's like that.
0: Yeah, very well put.
1: Um, well.
0: It takes so much to go day by day. Like it takes real fucking discipline to just go also moment to moment and day by day rather than zoop into the future and, it's been a, um, a big piece of advice from one of my therapists I work with is like, do you like this guy enough to like see him tomorrow? And I'm like, wow, it's so much easier. (laughs) And, and also with, with art and business and, and, you know, do I like this contractor enough to work with them on a project? Not for the rest of eternity. I used to come in and be like, I'm looking for a 10 year working relationship. And, um, yeah, there's so much freedom and liberation in exactly what you said, and just moment by moment to now. Thanks for reminding me of that again.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, and that's cool. It's like a, it's a dedication to, it's a different type of dedication instead of a long-term dedication. It's like a dedication to the present moment. And and, and it's nice because in, in like one moment at a time, we can dive fully into anything. Um, but like 10 years, that's a long time. And maybe, maybe not. And, um, that's really challenging. And for a person like you, who's so multifaceted, um, you know, you have all these things that you can do, I'm sure. Do you ever go through challenges of like deciding what to do with your day and like what, what you want to focus on and what, you know, like, how do you, how do you manage that?
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, I used to schedule certain days of the week for different parts of my business. So when I coached a lot, it'd be like Mondays and Wednesdays, I coach. And when I was just a writer, but I wrote for four different publications, they would each get a day of the week. So if I was writing for Sexy Conscious Awake or whatever these different, I wrote for a ton of different publications, any meetings for them or article time was on those days. Um, and it helped a lot um, lately because I've been managing like a large digital program with like 800 customers and a team. It's kind of been a bit different. Like there's, it's more write a poem when it comes answer slack and Asana tasks and, uh, you know, um, but I'm in the middle of what feels like taking. Sometimes I just feel like as an artist or as an entrepreneur that and I also just want to say that I'm deeply grateful that there are so many um, opportunities and things that pull my pull pull at me, you know, like I know that there's some people who want more emails and um, I have like email trauma. So I wish I could give them some of mine (laughs) and uh, I'm in the middle of kind of taking my my hands back from the world and also honing in on more discernment of what I say yes to which has been really important like um you know more essentialism of what are the podcasts i actually want to go on not just saying yes to every to every single person and and realizing that every ounce of our energy is is sacred you know there's a um there's so yeah i feel like i'm a little off track from our original question but um i would say that right now my balance is medium um but with writing i really like to write just when it happens so um for me that part of my life has never been rigid i've never just been like unless i'm writing articles for a company and there's a deadline or something it's it's very fluid um but i will often go work on a book for three days in the woods and do just that and so i like having little writing sabbaticals where just put my phone on airplane mode and I'm unavailable. Um, And then to be in fluidity, but having discernment around like what ideas to execute and when to do what. And um, I'm a total creator. I have, I wish I could sell all my ideas because I get like a thousand ideas a day. Um, (laughs) It's like, there's a lot. Um, There's a lot there that could be done. So it's also having working on the discernment and sleeping on and being like, if all of these ideas are tattoos, what one do I actually want to put on my body?
1: Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. I would imagine, I'm imagining that people that are listening to this, uh, they, they might feel like, man, I wish I had ideas like that. I wish that ideas came to me in that same way. And they might think that they like, you know, you're different for some reason, or you're like, um, have this elevated ability over them. And, um, I'm just imagining, I feel like one thing that you definitely have a really great skill at is, is like committing to the, the process and, um, and the concept and going for it. And like, uh, I know that when I'm, when I'm all in on a project, when I'm all in on a concept and, and whatever, um, a creative like adventure, it's like ideas just explode like left and right. You know, it's almost like, like if you, the, the whole idea, if you say yes to something and you like set a goal or an intention, then the universe will conspire to make that happen. And, um, and I, like, I, I'm just imagining you on one of these like three day sabbaticals and like, you know, ideas come to you because you've committed and you're, because you're doing it. Do you feel like that's, Anywhere near correct?
0: Yeah, um, I do think that when we're committed, we're more clear, so more parts flow. My my writing sabbaticals lately have been more about organizing. I have about eight books of poems written, so it's more left-brained, organizing what poem put on classical music, drink a lot of coffee, um, <laughs> and just kind of flow with it. Um, but... Yeah. I think that when we're in ambivalence around something, it's really hard um, for there to be momentum or flow. And so I think that, um, yeah, commitment is important for sure. I think with, with creativity and, but I'm also, I get very watery with commitment as well, because there are so many ideas. It's like, what idea to follow through with? Like I'm I have two programs I might launch this month and I keep dancing between which one of them to do. So,
1: yeah, it's uh Yeah. yeah. And I guess I'm not saying commitment to like any one path. It's more like, um, it's more like commitment to creativity itself. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're, you're obviously like, this is your life. You know, you have committed to being like this version of yourself. That is this like creative being that this, this energy comes through you. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um well, do you want to jump into the question section? Sure. Of the podcast. All sure, right. Sure. All right, so again, these are four questions I'm asking everybody. I ask everyone um there's a new set each season and uh question 1 is what is your advice to aspiring creatives? And that's creatives with a capital C. That's creatives of all backgrounds, all types, all genres, all, all outlets.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the single piece of advice is that I, I, think it's really, really important to understand as creatives and, um, and artists as well, that our job is just 50%. And what I mean by that is, I think it is our job to, when we are in creation, literally create as if we are on the moon, and no one will ever see it. And to just be in one singular conversation with the art and the creativity that is there. And if we can do that and pull forward the the absolute guts and the honesty and the truth of what is moving and what is inside of us, um, I think that's the most impactful art, the most successful art as well that I've ever made. And the other 50% of art is once you release it, hit publish, hit send, put something out into the world. The second that you do that, you're done. And the other 50% is what belongs to the world. So other people will then take what you've created and experience themselves through it. And they will, they will, we're always looking for ourselves and everything and to create meaning and to have purpose as human beings. So we're really done after we release it. You can hire a good marketing person and do all kinds of things to try and make it stick. But we go into such suffering over controlling the other 50%. And I think there is so much more um, playfulness and joy and, um, liberation and fulfillment in just going like cool this is my 50 percent. when i sit sit at this table i i do honestly try and write something as if there is no audience because when we think about the audience we get in our head and we worry and there's just like a lot that shows up so um creating like we're on literally on the moon our or our own planet and there's no eyes and there's no ears and there's going to be no opinions and no judgments and no toes to step on. Um, and I think you can. Um, maybe after the initial creation there's steps that you can take to have sensitivity, rather than censorship, but um, yeah I, w- I would say that really not thinking about what's going to do well, or what the world needs or wants um, it's just like what do you what do you want to give? What is the giving inside of you? What is the um artists or storytellers? you know what story do you want to tell, and if it's not moving from inside of you, don't sit down and write it. you know don't force it. you gotta create the space, go travel to somewhere across the the world and smell a bunch of smells and make out with someone and Get your heart broken and then maybe you'll have a story to tell
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that's a part of the giving too
1: <laughs> really nice. and then sharing it mm-hmm. yeah i love that I, I really love this idea of like creating on the moon um you know and that's like what an art studio can be um that's what you know a writer's nook or whatever somebody your computer anything and like it's cool because the the moon for one you're like if you're on the moon, no one can touch you. So it's like, you're, you're totally safe. And, and then from that safety, uh, you can, you can create and, and share and do all this stuff. And um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I feel like I remember, even as like a really little kid, I was very aware that what I drew was like, was able to be analyzed. And so then I would like, sort of work within parameters that I that I thought would like jive with the world and I've always been I'm like I'm this is a great podcast for me to hear because I've (laughs) always been I've always been sort of like reserved in what I what I put out and what I do and what I say and I've been like working for myself with my art over the last many years to just be more transparent and and like give less of a fuck about what other people think and um yeah so that's that's really it's really cool and when you're on the moon like you might never see anybody ever again so like you can't you're like free to just do or be whatever and Mm -hmm. just like let it fly
0: totally and that sparked two things one is actually about drawing and thanks for sharing that that was vulnerable and open thanks um the other thing is that I think you need to commit to being misunderstood for your entire life. If you can commit to being absolutely misunderstood, um, I think it's so much easier because people understand themselves and no matter what we're projecting on everyone all of the time. And so it's, it's like, can I, can I commit to being in absolute integrity with the art inside of me and letting other people understand whatever they need to understand about this art once it's out. It's almost like it's a kid, like going out into the world with like a lunchbox, you know, it's like, it's going to go out and have an adventure and a whole life without you. And, um, and, and the other thing is I, I felt what you just said. I, I was at a, do you know, Peter Levine's work. He's the founder of Somatic Experiencing.
1: I've heard about him.
0: Yeah. I did a retreat in, Sedona and April with him, that was the most powerful, beautiful thing I've done and, um, in personal development. And uh, we had to do an exercise of drawing what we thought our bodies looked like with our non-dominant hand. Yeah. <laughs> and my initial drawing that I saw was these two skinny little sticks, like literally just two lines. And I went, I had to, sh- we had to show each other. I'm like, no, it's way too sad. Like, I'm not gonna draw that. Like, and I drew this like colorful, bright thing. And then I, I raised my hand and I was like, hey, Peter, I, I didn't draw my drawing. <laughs> he was like, why not? I was like, it was, it was way too sad, you know? Cause what had showed up for me through the process was um, we sometimes view ourselves through younger versions like our, we see ourselves like the 14 year old. And when I was little, I was super skinny and I got bullied. I got called Twiggy. And I realized a part of me is still seeing my body, even though I am not Twiggy and I've got hips and all kinds of things. I was literally as a 33 year old still viewing my body as those two little, little legs. Um, but I mean, I don't draw a lot, so that was one of my drawing experiences. And I can relate to like getting a little self-conscious around what I actually wanted to draw versus what I wanted the world to see. And I imagine, I mean, your art is so incredibly beautiful though. I don't know. I don't know what you would avoid drawing, but it's, uh, it's really special. Are there things that you have, of, can I ask you a question? Sure. Are there things that you've avoided drawing now as an adult that come through because you're not sure how the world will take it
1: yeah I mean and now I'm again I'm not giving a fuck as much these days and so I'm just uh, there's a lot of like political and social stuff that I would shy away from because I was worried because you know I, I have friends and family and people that I know from both sides of the the fence of different political setups and whatnot and so I didn't want to offend people and lose people as like part of my following I guess or like you know my my art community and um, and now I'm just like just express yourself express your opinion express your view and if people don't like it then that's that's on them or that's something that they could look into if they want to or you know if they want to have a conversation about it I can express why I feel this way or whatever you know like um, yeah and then kind of like interpersonal stuff was stuff that I was like aware as a young kid you know maybe I saw it on movies where like a kid would do a drawing and then the therapist would see it and then they they would like cause a big thing and so Instead, I would just, like, draw superheroes because that wasn't really, like, because you couldn't look at that in any sort of a, like, sociological way. Uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for sharing. You can relate. You can, yeah. Sucks being psychoanalyzed. It's like, right. and also, um, yeah, it's like just letting, I think you're right. And, and you don't even need to have, I used to get into the comment sections in my articles and people people would misunderstand me and be like, no, I actually think that, and now I'm just like, fuck it. Like, <laughs> it's just like, like let, letting, and the people in your life that are gonna be there will ask the questions that they need, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like we don't need to control things so much. and And there's, the, the world is so fucking crazy. There's so many moving parts. Your own individual life is so busy and wild and crazy, and like, there's just so much going on that to waste our time on other people's perceptions of us. It's like, uh, you know, there was some quote about like what other people think of me is none of my business. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Done. I'm gonna go on with my. I think and Andy Warhol said something about like, you know, while people are sitting there judging your art, like make more art.
0: Yeah. I've turned so much hater comments into articles that then have, you know, had hundreds and thousands of views where I get really mad and I'm just like I <laughs> like, you know, we'll take something and just fuel it into um a broader conversation. So, yeah, it's like making more art with It's like, it's like the only thing social media is, well, that's not true, but it's one of the things social media has been good for is sometimes taking backlash and creating more creativity with it.
1: Yeah, I could imagine that. I mean, it's almost like a, like a fractal of content, you know, like you make one thing and then like a little thing pops off of it and then you build off of that and you can like follow this like path down into wherever, however.
0: yeah. Yep.
1: All right. Um question two. Great, great job. Question one. You, you did good. Uh question two. What do you want? What would you like life to be like in five years? And you can take this in a personal direction or uh zoomed out, worldly direction, or whatever you want. Wow. Let's imagine that you have a magic wand and you and it yeah. can go any way you want it to go.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's two part of there's a quote I love, and I don't know who it's by, who says, you know, I I don't really know what B or C is, but it's not A anymore. And uh, <laughs> um, I think that in a in a personal sense, I'm really desiring more spaciousness um, from writing, and I thought I wanted to shift into public speaking. And now what I've realized is, I want to be invited onto stages for the story of poetry, not like, you know, become a Tony Robbins and then get invited to speak because I'm Tony Robbins. Um, But just to really have had a vision years and years ago, and it still stuck with me. In Q is a poet I love from LA and I went to one of his shows. Yeah, he's great. I was in a book, I should get you one of them called Speak Easy with him and Bo Taplin and a bunch of artists. And we wrote four poems. I'd actually love to, you'd really like, it's like four poems that were truce the world needed to hear right now. I mean, if there's time I can read one or I'll gift you one of those books. But um, NQ had us this visualization, and this was probably four years ago. And you know, and it was, it was like a cliche prompt, like, you know, imagine happiness or something. And what showed up for me was um, waking up in this bed. It was right on the ocean. And I was like, shit, that's gonna be expensive. Okay, like front row. Um, <laughs> but the space of the blue and not feeling like the energy of California all around you, like having spaciousness. Um, and then there was two cups of coffee. There was a, a man, a partner, and a dog, no emails and just books. And my Jeep was there with surfboards. There were surfing, but it was like the no emails and the quietness. Cause I feel like it's been, I mean, I think all of our nervous systems are overloaded with stimulation and noise and incoming. And that's one of the things that I'm taking apart right now is, um, how to have more quiet there. So I think moving forward five years from now, um, quiet and spaciousness, not managing anyone, not even one person, not a CEO, don't wanna be a CEO. Um, (laughs) Learned that lesson. And I wanna be more of like a Rupi Kapoor, so more of like sharing poems on stages, giving through poetry, giving wisdom, in that way, rather than so much the coaching aspects. Um, I miss the coaching aspects, like I won't coach for a year and a half and I'll miss it, but I just wanna focus a little bit more right now on teaching and giving, because art is a giving. It's like, okay, I wanna give through that part. Um, and collectively, I went to an indigenous um, archaeological site in Sedona from it was the Sinagua were the very first indigenous people to be in Sedona from 600 AD and, as I was walking around, there was just this deep unraveling and raveling inside of me of the acknowledgement um, you know we're. We used to live in I think it was 100 or 150 people was the capacity that we had to be in right relation. And then we would break off into new tribes when you hit that. And so I feel like what I really desire for our world is to get back into the capacity of our nervous systems and to have the right kind of relationships. So um, I don't know if that's smaller communities, definitely people are doing that right now. I also really desire leaders of the world to wake up to caring about the right things. Um, leadership used to be about taking care of each other, the people that were there and the planet and the earth and our leaders care about money and resources and what comes with consumerism. And I'd like to get back to more of a society. There was, uh, all these amazing stories and symbols on this wall. And on the last part of the wall on our walk, there was these three symbols and um one of them was a circle and the woman shared with me that that was for this particular tribe to communicate who they were and so it was like you know who we are what we care about which i think is a conversation and a dialogue we've been having the last two years in many ways in different ways and the second figure was this kind of chubby friendly looking sasquatch and all of the other walls had had these very ferocious, like lightning deities and warriors. And, I, and this one was very friendly and like chubby. And like, I was like, what's this, what's this guy? What's this guy about? And she said, this is for this, this tribe to communicate to anyone walking by that they have more than enough to share. And that fucked me up so good because <laughs> what we don't have right now because people are the the only way consumerism and capitalism steep keeps working is if people are kept in a state of survival by thinking they don't have enough to be happy or to be safe or to be okay. And so there's a constant push in everything that happens in the first world countries around what we need to be safe and it's in personal development and it makes me want to barf. It's like people really want safety in their bodies and regulated nervous systems and there's beauty to personal development Um, what i really feel like what we're reaching for is safety and so i think that amidst keeping consumerism and capitalism and marketing alive and all these ways that we're we're sold you know the american dream having our own house and then we're alone in our own houses when we used to live in communities raising kids with bags under our eyes and forgetting about the beauty of raising a child or, you know, that was one of our beautiful experiences as your friend's kid. I like took their kid and hung out with him and like, I loved that. That was giving for me. And that's part of right relation is being in community and, um, taking care of each other and sharing resource and just doing it just because that's how we used to do it. And, um, I really want people to remember that you know, we can call it generosity. I've worked with some, um, I've worked with a woman who does inclusivity and um, equity work. And she was like, you know, you're only able to be generous because you're white and a settler. And I was like, true. Okay. So maybe generosity is not not, not like the right word, but essentially it's like a caring. It's like, how do we get back to the communal caring? And um, how do I, I wanted to, move everything in my business from sliding scale to zero. I wanted to give everything away. I came back and was like, we just have to create utopia right now. And, um, and then how do we integrate utopia into this world? So I think collectively five years from now, I hope that there is more integration um, in leadership, in politics of Caring about the things I think we really need right now in our earth, which is like, we got to give a fuck about the environment, we got to give a fuck about the animals going extinct human rights, um, sharing resources, you know, we don't need to buy, buy fucking $200,000 metaverse fake land when there's kids starving of actual hunger on this world, you know, and like not into this whole fucking alternate reality. Um, I feel like I'm like the only person that's like, yeah, I don't want to make a, what are they called? Like NFTs (laughs) or like anything. I'm like, I'm good, this plane's enough for me. Um, So I hope we can get back to a society and community and just more connection in a way that I think will make us happier than capitalism and consumerism.
1: Nice, all right. Big,
0: <laughs> big ones.
1: <laughs> all right. I like it. Yeah. We solved some problems there.
0: I don't know. <laughs>
1: I like that feature, it's good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, all right, question three, you have already mentioned this, but I was wondering maybe you can go into more detail uh, or, or you know, maybe maybe some experience stands out to you but uh, have you seen or experienced your work affect a person uh, or the world on a deep level? Tell us about it. And you're really fortunate to to get to like, you know, you see the comments, not all of them are, you know, you get the negative ones, but you also get to see the positive ones. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure you have like personal experience with like those close to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the article I wrote called and it's called aborting shame um, one woman's experience with abortion if anyone wants to read it who's listening you can find it on elephant journal that was a big um a big beautiful way um it's so interesting I opened up a book to a note that a woman mailed me I'm gonna read it it's so beautiful actually looked at this today I was like oh it's nice This is in 2018. Yana, I found your page one evening at 4 a.m. I was weeping. Your writing gave me so much comfort. Your writing saved me. It made me look at people and things and situations in so many different ways. I can't thank you enough. Forever a fan of your beautiful mind and I won't say her name I'll keep her private but um yeah um although we have to write like we're on the moon it's it's really nice to like be able to experience I don't know if I I mean being a my books are out in this world in people's hands getting coffee cup stains and folded pages but I don't really get to experience it so it's nice my book launch events have been really nice to really be like, Oh yeah, there's like physical real people out there that are those followers or book purchases. Like those are humans. Look, they're all like fleshy and you can hug them. (laughs) (laughs) And we hugged more. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it is encouraging. It was really encouraging. Um, It was really encouraging in the beginning, because I think when we first start as artists, we're just so like, we're like a fucking Chihuahua shaking in the wind. Like, we're like, Jesus, I just like, does anyone even care? What am I doing? And so um, the feedback in the early days was really important to have the boldness and the confidence to keep writing. Um, And I was really well received by Elephant Journal as a platform, as well as Waylon Lewis, the founder, he f- discovered me and shared my work nonstop for I think weeks and weeks, and he was like, "You're my favorite writer I've had in ten years." Like, who the fuck are you? Where did you come from? Um, and that really helped. He like flew me into Boulder, and I taught workshops on how to write honest art, and with the staff at Elephant Journal, and you know, it. it we need to be believed in. I think part of as much as I fucking hate to say it, part of believing in ourselves is being received, you know, and many of us have existed probably in romantic relationships where it's, there isn't this reciprocity, there isn't this shared mutual passing. And um, I think creativity is also a, a relationship. There is a twofold piece that happens and it's good to learn some detachment around the other 50%. Um, but you know, without an audience, I would just be, it's just me sitting on my moon alone. And, um, that's great for the integrity of art and it can be isolating. So coming into the conversation with audience and, um, connecting with them and whatever, for you, maybe doing galleries where people get to come and you get to hear and feel them experience a painting in front of you, um, or for me, seeing somebody crying as I read a poem, um, you know, there's something so special about that as well, that feels really important. So, um, yeah, I would say, I'd say that like a boarding, boarding shame article was the, the biggest, but, um, I really, really love the book launch, you know, events that I did all over the world. I was like Beyonce. I like had DJs and cakes and all kinds of crazy stuff. I was like, <laughs> next time I'll probably just go to a bookstore, but, uh, it was fun. And, um, and yeah it, it's it's important to also be received
1: yeah mm-hmm. Yep. totally <laughs> yeah without that i mean then you're just on the moon and and it's kind of isolated out there right yeah yeah it's a question everything <laughs> a whole, whole different existential level there yeah um All right, well, uh, you've made it to the final question. This is the one that, that, you know, really, really is tough. It's hard for people. What's your definition of art?
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: What is my definition of art? Hmm. Like the guts of our souls. really you know it's our it's our insides what we're talking about it's really our insides outside (laughs) and and i mean i don't really hold it back like there's there's i kind of just i had a woman on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and she's like what's something you've never like a poem you've never shared i was like there's not really like well i mean there's a couple but um yeah, it's it's our insides outside. That's my definition of art. And also, the, I love this quote. My friend Ratana is this amazing singer, and she says that art made from truth is prayer.
1: Ooh, yeah.
0: She's badass. Yeah, I like that quote a lot.
1: So. Yeah, that's that's really cool. That that brings in like, uh, the spirituality of of art and like, mm-hmm. you know. the the divinity of it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm I'm really one of the things i might launch is called art for art which is like can we just make fucking art for art again like it's like art is content art is i'm like like just that real raw or maybe it's just me and i'm projecting my experience on the world but i feel like there's been so much need for content for the last several years that it's like i don't want to use art for anything i want to make art just for fucking art and yeah
1: yes (laughs) awesome well uh yana i want to take this opportunity to say thank you for coming on the podcast it's been awesome having you here I, i really liked how you uh right off the bat you took the questions and then you were like you like cut right through them to exactly like where you know what was coming through you which is great um and i could see that that's how you you live your life and you you make your art and um it's great it's just like it's it's an honorable and uh respectable way to live and way to be so um yeah you've done a lot and i know you're gonna do a lot more and it's really cool so carry on carry on
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah directness is one of my superpowers that makes people really uncomfortable but it's also a su- it's a superpower i like to like hit it you know
1: Yep. Yeah. For um, that. Where can people support you and learn from you and get your books and follow you and do all the things? Yeah. I mean,
0: if you're going to get to know me, if you're going on like a very first date with my art, um, my first book is one of my babies, and I love it. I spent like an absolute OCD. I was so OCD about like the order of every one of those poems and how they all flowed into each other. So this is for the woman who don't give a fuck, which is in 50 bookstores in the US, but also on Amazon. Um, And then I made a a surfing poetry film called I am a woman of distinction that I really love. And that's a nice like visual representation of a couple of things. Um, And then I, you know, I have a website and an email list. And if you want to work with me or do poetry workshops. I've been doing a series called Conversations where people come and write poems on different topics. And that's been fun. Um, yeah, probably those, Those I would say email lists. Like you can come follow me on Instagram. Um, my email list will be more quiet, <laughs> 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 more private, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. And my website's just Yana, which is spelled J-A-N-N-E robinson.com so sweet yeah
1: all right cool we're going to take a little break come back for part two um before we go can you give one last bit of a wisdom for the human beings that are listening it can be about anything Mm -hmm. first thought best thought
0: yes so I learned something really beautiful about discernment from one of my therapists, Larry. Um, And I wanna share it because I feel, I feel, I won't project this on the world. I've been circling through cycles of burnout as an entrepreneur for so long. And he said something so beautiful. He said, when you go into cycles of burnout or exhaustion, you're reaching down, we have like 50 trillion cells And we reach down below into kind of the restore i think of like almost like reaching under the table into our restore cells and when you're reaching down there for energy discernment is pretty much impossible because your body is in survival and so what do i want to launch what am i going to charge do i like my boyfriend we broke up um all of those are (laughs) really hard to know. And so we get kind of part of burnout or exhaustion. So if you're, if you're tired right now in life and dealing with some ambivalence, the single most important thing you can do to get into clarity is to restore. And um, I, I don't know, that just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Also drinking lots of water because if you're not hydrated, your cells are not, yeah, they're not also talking to each other in the ways that they need to be. So um, I think it's been a really big year, two years for the whole planet in so many ways. And we've all had to evolve in our different iterations with everything that's been happening in the world. And um, if you're tired, just know that the, yeah, the step into clarity, I really believe is is rest. So drink some water and take a nap.
1: a couple naps (laughs) that's great advice that i will follow (laughs) Uh all right all right cool well uh yeah we'll be right back part two is brought to you by steady state roasting in carlsbad california this place is my favorite coffee shop on the west coast and the coffee is the best They roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at SteadyStateRoasting.com. And we're back. All right, Yana, ready for part two?
0: Taylor, so excited.
1: Hell yeah, yeah. me too. Um, Okay. We don't have a whole lot of time and... I'm excited to, to dive into this with you here. Uh, I got some good concepts for you. I think you might enjoy talking about them. I think you might like, you know, take them on and then make art out of them and <laughs> chop them up like you do. So the two concepts, One, you choose one and we go down that path and the, it goes wherever. So the first one is feminism today. That's one concept. Uh huh. And then the other concept is surfing the waves of challenge.
0: Can I do both if there's enough time?
1: You can do anything you want. You can even, do- <laughs> I don't even want to talk about those. What I really want to talk about is this. So, whatever you want.
0: Um, no, I love both of those. And what's so interesting is I went on a date and um, there, was a, there was a whole thing around me and feminism and fears around what that looks like. So I, this is all fresh for me. I'd love to talk about it.
1: <laughs>
0: um, I'd really love to talk about my journey and what I think feminism really means, because I think there's so many stereotypes and it's almost like feminism is like political for some people. There's just this, this big, big fear around touching it. And uh, I grew up, uh, I have two gay moms, and so My one mom was like a hardcore feminist, worked at women and children abuse shelters. Um, She was the first, the only female airplane mechanic to work in the Vancouver airport. Um, I won't say the airline she worked for, but a big airline and, um, you know, woman in the trades, like hardcore. So I I also, you know, having two gay moms living in the prairies, got to deal with um, all kinds of stuff around. I don't know if if I would say that's more like gay rights, I guess, but, um, I grew up in it and, um, and I, I didn't identify as a feminist for a long time because, um, like my mom's, I mean, there's a lot to be angry about as a woman, but my mom was also had parts that were real angry. Um, and I, I didn't like angry feminism. And so I, I really shied away I still had a part that definitely advocated for women um, to the point of in grade seven, one of my good friends was like showing her boobs to boys and there was older high school students coming in. And I was really worried about her and like started to, um, I shared that and um, shared that with um, some people. And I think there's a part of me that's always felt protective of women and um, has had activism in my bones and has questioned things as well. Like, I had a teacher in grade seven who had a rule that women couldn't wear jackets in his class, like little shells. And I have had the worst circulation for my whole life. So I've always been cold and didn't make any sense as a rule. And so one day he was like, Yana, yeah, take your jacket off. And I was like, No. He was like, What do you mean no? And I'm like, He's like, it's my rule. I'm like, yeah, it's a stupid rule. Um, <laughs> I got yeah. sent it. I got. I'm definitely like a questioner and a challenger, and I got sent to detention. And my mom came into the principal's office and sat down, and she was like, "It's a stupid rule." Um, so there's been this this challenger, this um, you know activism for me is how we funnel the pain of the world into change. That's how I would succinctly name activism and uh you know being a woman i believe that we carry there's it's been shown that we literally take on trauma in sperm and sperm in the womb so um in shamanism there's a belief that we carry seven generations forwards and backwards and i know that some of the anger and rage that i feel does not belong to me um and i i think so there's a, there's lots there but i really started to explore feminism um in 2014 when i lived in that little cabin and the the yes all woman movement remember that happened there was a who was that guy's name let's not even say his name he went into a bunch of sororities and killed like i think 20 some women who he claimed kept him a virgin and he had videos about women being kept in concentration camps for breeding and he was like james cameron's niece or cousin or something. I don't know. But um, I was horrified and enraged. And I remember living in my cabin and just reading all of these Yes All Woman hashtags and feeling something inside of me wake up. And um, I would say to be a feminist is number one, The the term is you want women to have equal rights. And for me, it's it's like breathing, it's common sense, but also that protection. And there was a part of me that like this mama grizz part that woke up of like, shit, it's really not safe to be a woman in this world. And, you know, since then I've mentored, I mentored a poet in the Middle East who knows other poets in the Middle East who've been killed for being women and writing poems, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, headway to still make in women's rights especially with what's happening right now there's a a deep regression that's really scary and really sad and barbaric and um but back to 2014 um i started to feel inside this feeling and i had always rejected feminism i didn't want to say i was a feminist and i remember my mom saying you should look up gloria Steinem." Was one of the first feminists. And I listened to an interview she did with Gian Gomeshi. And I was so surprised with how soft she was. You know, in my head, feminism had been, you know, the stereotypes of, you know, armpit and, you know, yelling, you know, all of these rallying, lobbying. I had never experienced feminism in the softness that I experienced it through Gloria Steinem and that opened up a whole world that we all get to express our activism, our care, our desire to protect women, protect whatever it is that we care about protecting in our own way. And um and then I and then I was like, "Oh shit, I'm a feminist." <laughs> I was like I'm like, definitely a feminist. And that being said, I took on boldness as many activists I think do. And the first part of my journey as a feminist was boldness. I wrote an article called why I give a damn about yes, all women. And I took different quotes from different women and put, um, I thought it was feminist markings, but I think it was actually gender equality markings on my face with red lipstick. And I was topless and I took all these like pictures and I wrote this massive article on women's rights. And, um, that had like 500,000 views and, um, kind of put me into the, the name and the field of women's rights as I was just learning about it and beginning. Um, and, and I, 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 you know, I made the film, this is for the women who don't give a fuck. If you watch that one, if that one's online and it's just women walking up to the camera being like, this is for the women who don't give a fuck. And it's like, very like, Poof. Boof, boof. It is good. You know, I went to cons corporate media TV awards. It has 400,000 views. Um, that was using more boldness and shock value. Um and that was fun. And then I had a shift in some maturing. And I want to be careful with that because I think that boldness and and anger are also okay. I I think, but I this part feels really important to share. Because it was a maturing, um, there was a musician named Jay Sparrow who approached me when I was in the middle of this phase in my cabin and he was filming a music video on gender equality and he wanted me to act in it. And I was like, I've never acted. And he's like, I want someone who's actually into women's rights and gender equality to act in this video. And when he pitched it to me, there was all of these bold shock value scenes with you know, men holding signs about respecting women and him writing respect and lipstick on me. And um, there was all these bold, clear scenes, which is why I agreed to it. I, I used to model and I quit being a model cause I didn't want to be an object anymore. And so it felt really important to me that my participation wasn't to like be a hot chick in a music video. And um, I, as we started to film, in Mexico and BC and a couple of different places, these scenes weren't happening. And I got kind of mad and I was like, listen, Jay, I took him aside and I was like, I don't want to be in this video if I'm just some freaking arm candy girlfriend of yours. And, um, and he sat me down and he said, have you heard about the, the national film board of Canada has a film called the little, little soul or sorry, the, the angry rain cloud and the sun. And i hadn't heard of it it's a cartoon and there's an angry rain cloud that approaches the sun and says let's see who can make that little man down there take his coat off first the sun's like okay and the angry rain cloud goes i'm gonna go first and so it comes and it takes wind it's like i'm just like throwing all of this wind at this little man and rain and he just the little man grabs his coat and just pulls it closer around. And when he comes and he starts to throw hail and just just like really throwing it down on this man. And this guy just keeps holding his coat tighter and tighter and tighter and continues one more time, like bring everything. And it doesn't work. Every single time the rain cloud comes, the man just pulls his coat closer and closer around him. And he gives up and the sun comes and lets out these tiny little rays of sunshine. And um, the man walking below gets hot, takes his coat off and goes to sit under a tree. And Jay looked at me and said, I want a man driving in his pickup truck in the middle of the prairies to be singing to this song with no idea that I wrote it about gender equality. And I want little boys watching this to see me, a rock star cooking you dinner in the kitchen while you chop wood and to know that I say that that's cool, not in what I say, but how I show it. And anger and boldness shuts people down. The the anger is an emotion, which I've learned through personal development it completely just shuts people's body down into freeze. So they can't hear anything, absorb anything. They go into smallness. And I think it's Jane Goodall. She's like, if you want people to do better, you have to have the conversation with them. And you have to have the conversation with them in a way they can hear it. And with anger, yeah, sometimes people will initially listen and it'll snap them awake, but... I think many people have an aversion to feminism or fear because they've been on the receiving end of some of that anger. And, um, I really, that was such an eloquent moment of being taught by another artist. I just want to like super commend Jay. that was the most beautiful moment for me to also reflect on how I was expressing feminism and activism. And I went on to film, I am a woman of distinction as a third poetry film after that. And my intention with that was, I don't need to show women walking abrasively up to camera like, I don't give a fuck. Like Women don't need to be empowered. We need to rest into the empowerment we already are. And it isn't about walking loudly and talking and you know taking up space that's a that's an immature version of power it's a pretty adolescent version of empowerment the most powerful people are often the quietest ones in a room you know there's something that we can just feel and so when i filmed i am a woman of distinction my intention was you know i showed women on quads and dancing and in play and in joy and really living life and surfing and it it for me was a subtle way. You could look at it and be like, "Oh, this is like a fucking lifestyle video with a bunch of chicks on quads with their hair dancing um but for me, it was like a a shift as a as a director and in playing with film and video as a storyteller was wanting to um show women that empowerment gets to also be soft you know it can it can be soft and empowering and it doesn't need to be so masculine in some ways um And, uh, and that was really beautiful. And amidst everything happening right now and the regression of certain women, women's rights in the States with abortions and everything happening, like I'm mad again, you know, and there's a part of me that's showing up. That's like pissed and, and I'm noticing that part. And I think that anger and rage is also a communicator, right? When we're angry, usually someone is crossing a boundary. Not always, but sometimes and there's like very large boundaries being crossed right now in the government around women's rights, and so I think that rage can be absolutely sacred and powerful and it's important to to feel it and express it in healthy ways and um yeah, so it's it's a dance for me. It's a, it's a constant conversation of how I'm going to express that protection part. I've noticed a part of me that's like wanting to go into politics this week, just being like, shit, like I'm just going to go in there and fuck some shit up. Um, and so it's like there's an evolution that I'm constantly feeling of how do, how do I personally contribute to the um, – rebalancing and protection of women so that future generations have a different experience. And what does that look like? Um, the titles of my books, although they're bold and aggressive are one of the ways, like when we go through moments like this, I'm like, yeah, that's why I call my books. The the ways that I do is, um, sometimes anger and shock has a place and sometimes we need softness and grace. And I think I continue to be in conversation around, um, I think there's different moments where there's effectivity of different pieces. So largely to be a feminist is to want all human beings to be able to move through the world with the same freedoms and um, abilities to do the same things, essentially. And if we go one step back, I would even remove gender and just say like all humans. And and, um, so, yeah. I think that's my my personal relationship and I also um you know I have I have a, a poem that I wrote that is that I enjoy it's like you know who says all feminists hate men the only bashing of men that I do is with my vagina <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I also don't think feminism means man-hating you know I think that I think that there's a, a fear from a lot of men around um, I definitely think that men get projected upon for sure and have to like deal with some of that anger sometimes. But um I think that it's men can also be feminists and I don't know I, I can't even imagine being in the world and not in this exact moment being a feminist and whether we're whoever we are, no matter how you identify, just um again it's that utopian world it's like can we care about all humans and part of that caring um is equal rights
1: damn right (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely i like that i mean yeah equal rights equal you know just equality like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i'm for sure a feminist you and (laughs) And that, yeah, same thing, like just equality. And, and it, it goes to, to women, to all the different non gender things that are like
0: binary, mm-hmm. ones, yeah.
1: like all uh, racial backgrounds and like animals, plants, all this stuff. Like we, like the, the I mean, yeah, the, the patriarchy that exists on this planet in and human beings is just so control-based and uh dominance-based and i think that's why there's like a fear and it's funny because like when people have control and they're like overly controlling of something like they it's like their their sight gets they become one one one-sided that's the only thing that they can control like focus on and you know if you hold on to anything too tightly like you get all white knuckled and your your blood pressure rises and everything just becomes stressful and these these people trying to control everything are are just like trying to hang on to things when if they were to just let go of control and like allow equal rights to be and like the world would just be in my opinion the world would be a better place Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people disagree. There's different religious backgrounds that have major effects on things. Um, you know, and so people wow. are getting their opinions and their stories from different different places. But and that's like a big part of the problem, or a big part of the situation that we're in right now, is we have different people with different, um, just like different underlying fundamental philosophies of like how the world is. But and it's funny because uh I was born as a male I easily could have been born as a female and like it and and i use it, like it ties into entitlement elements for you know people that are like like i easily i i'm i was born as a white cisgender male in the United States of America in nineteen eighty two and it's like I've, I've been given sort of a golden ticket on this planet versus like, you know, I could have been born, uh, in the slums of wherever you name it, third world country. And, um, you know, like how, how did that happen? It's not like I did anything for, for that. It's not like I did anything to achieve my place where I was like lucky to be born in this situation. And, um, And it's wild how people just like, can like hang onto that control and hang onto that entitlement and then um, use it to continue the control and domination and, um, and don't have compassion
0: Mm. for everybody else. That was very eloquent. I'm also glad that you were born into this part of the world as a, as a male to say this right now on this podcast and many other things, (laughs) but yeah, yes but yeah it's um there's so much resistance to even name it hey for some i think there's shame for some people on the other side of naming it or acknowledging it you know that's a part of the conversation of privilege is i don't want to feel i mean we already feel so much shame around who we are anyway that for some people there's a degree i think of um shame around acknowledging that piece and it's it's a lot to just say it out loud it's and it's great
1: yeah yeah and there's i mean there that's the whole problem i mean a lot of people uh don't i'm blanking on the the concept of what's going on but how a lot of people in parts of the country don't want um like the real history of our united states to to be taught to kids because it makes the u.s look bad or it makes you know, white people uncomfortable, but, and I'm not saying that like, like, like we don't need to rub people's face in it and make mm-hmm. you feel bad for what our country did a hundred, 200 years ago, pers- make you personally feel bad about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but I, in my opinion, we do need to acknowledge it in order to move forward from it. And if you don't do that then we're just sweeping things under the rug and acting like things didn't happen or don't happen all the fucking time mm-hmm. and then that's not getting anywhere and you know and I don't really believe like on a personal level and like individual level I don't really feel like blame is productive like accountability and acknowledgement of a situation in order to move forward in a positive way to solve problems like that's a whole different thing but like blaming doesn't you know or making people feel bad about a mistake or you know whatever like that that's not productive but um to not acknowledge things just like uh you're just like it's just like acting like nothing happened and then there's no like you can't move forward from it if you're the one that Has been the victim of a whatever the fuck. Like if it's not acknowledged, that's still there, and every single person on the planet has felt that and knows that.
0: You you have you have to name it. Um, this is a perfect segue because I actually have a poem on reconciliation I want to read for you. And then can we flow it? Can we? Can I read something?
1: Please do. I know you've got to leave in eight minutes, so yeah, let's, let's get some poems going.
0: Shit. Um, I. That was really beautiful. And I um, I feel like one of my gifts as a poet, someone asked me what my superpowers were the other day. And I was like, definitely openness and people in the lineup will start talking about their marriage and then be like, oh my God, I don't know you. Why am I talking to you? So it's like a superpower. Is, um, I think I create a space where people feel safe to share, which I'm grateful for. Um, and also naming it. I think that, you know, in in therapy, it's in there's 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 a science to this of when someone can name something for us, which is why I think parts of talk therapy are great. We get there's there's a there's an actual recognition that creates healing for us. And so, what I love as a poet is that I still get to kind of drop in little namings of things for people. And um, this is in that book, Speakeasy. It's not being printed anymore. Um, I'd love to to get you a copy though. Um, I have a couple and uh, I can also send this over and we can put it in the show notes if anyone wants to read it. But uh, when I was asked to write a truth that the world needed to hear right now, this was in 2020 and um, yeah, it was around reconciliation. This is about reconciliation. So just that serious need to hold it really, like to create the hands and hold it. So I'm gonna stop talking and read the poem. It's called, The world has been painted scarlet red with the wounds of our world. Listen, there is no right way to have this conversation. This conversation has been procrastinated on, pushed off aside for centuries. These are deep wounds being scabbed The wounds run so deep that no needles we own are big enough to sew them. Just like when you cheat, there's no great way to say my dick got lost and ended up somewhere else other than our marriage. This is a conversation of raping and pillaging of culture, language, ceremony and song, of robbing lands, rights, stories and resources. It goes generations deep and beyond us. And yet we are today at this table to begin to have the conversation on how to reconcile the wounds bubbling up like lava. We aren't going to do this right. There isn't a right way and there's no undo button. There's no start over button. All we need today is the courage to begin, to lift our tongues and start a dialogue that the collective needs to heal. So stop putting your foot in your mouth. Stop fearing being crucified or criticized. That will happen. There will be fire and old projections of pain thrown upon us all. There will be nails and arms and legs There will be hurts we will be asked to hold in our small hands that could never possibly fit. For they've been cut by the knives of our ancestors. And it won't feel fair because it wasn't our knife, not our knife, we will think, but it was a knife. And it happened and we all see the cut. But it wasn't your knife. Yes, I know. I hear you. And I understand your resistance to touch it but we have to touch it and it will hurt to touch it and it will be uncomfortable to touch it. But we've been passing on the wounds of segregation to the person in front of us for hundreds of years here take this it doesn't belong to me. And now buildings are on fire and a war has erupted and the world has been painted scarlet red with the wounds of our world. Someone's hands need to hold these wounds. Someone's fingers need to grow to begin to hold. There will never be a big enough apology. There will never be a perfect concoction. We will never do this right. We just have to be willing to wade into the ocean of pain and pick up a needle and open our ears and shut our mouths. And then when it's our turn to speak open and then close our mouths again and then listen and act and do it wrong and then act again. And maybe someday we'll be wading through a lake of wounds and not an ocean and then a river that shrinks into a stream. And then maybe one day, raindrops will be the only moldy tears of our world. But we must have the generosity to begin the conversation. We are here. Are we going to have the great conversation? Sit down. It's time now to have the great conversation. (laughs) <laughs> Mike almost dropped
1: <laughs> oh that was awesome that was powerful that was, thanks, Taylor yeah that was great mm-hmm. like what we're talking about thanks
0: we're still doing good too we got three minutes to spare
1: we got three minutes that's great. <laughs> that great yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's um it's, I don't know. It's It's a big poem. It's a big poem. It's a big poem and it's a big concept. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's just so important because like you tie it back, you know, you talked about suffering earlier and like, there's just so much of it in all these different, you know, forms and um, it doesn't need to be like that. And I don't, I don't know how to solve it or how to like change people's minds. But I do like the concept of, you know, like, like, sunshine is stronger than a rain cloud. And, and I've dabbled with that a lot in my art, like, how do you make a powerful statement that people will listen to and not turn away from? And I feel like as artists, that's like, our, you know, like, that's like the greatest achievement, if you can do that. And, and that's what I want my art to be about. I want, I want my art to transform the world for better. And, so that's like, what every piece is about is like trying to make, trying to figure out that code a little bit, a little bit closer.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your art is just like fucking beautiful. <laughs> like so, I remember when you showed it to me, and I'm like, what? And I'm yeah. sure you get this too, but we we see a lot of art as artists, and sometimes we don't resonate. And I I remember seeing yours and just, got some some big gifts.
1: Thanks. Thank you. And I mean, yeah. And with that, it's like, now what, what's, what are we going to do with it? I mean, what <laughs> can we do?
0: I don't know. I I like going to politics? We'll see. Hey. Um, I, uh, you need yeah. a
1: campaign poster. I'm there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I was uh, out for dinner on my birthday a few days ago, and a friend of mine said a bunch of women in Australia just went, fuck this and ran for office and all got elected and like fuck shit up. I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, So, you know, it's the other thing is that I think another thing to maybe leave, leave everyone on, on an end note is, um, there's such an entertainment culture right now. And, um, you know, we're both being entertained and entertaining and social media is part of that. And I think the reclamation of our attention, um, and refocusing it on actual impact, you know, like real impact, not like making a reel that has a million views. That's gonna not live on a wall. Um, if our, you know, it's like, what are the stories and that we need to tell as artists right now? Because they're not on social media and, um, kind of reclaiming of the sacredness of art and also just paying attention to this real physical, tangible world um and i think yeah maybe i'm projecting a bit but i really feel this need to tell some different stories and um an actual conservation of the earth (laughs) you know like real i think my new life goal is to be reincarnated as a mushroom because i feel like mushrooms are going to save the
1: planet (laughs) yep yep or take over if if we can't (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah yeah it's like attention you know reclamation of attention and whatever we need to do as artists to reclaim our attention fucking do it
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because we have that's something we do have power over and Mm -hmm. and really like you know and again like you know i have these big goals and visions and i'd love to change the world in all these ways, but, um, really like all you can do is do what you can with what you've got around you. And, and, you know, that's, that's it. That's the best you can do. And if, if that has a big effect, then that's great. But like even changing one life for the better or, or whatever, like just help the person next to you or, you know, metaphorically speaking.
0: And you have a lot of animal prints, right? You do some animals. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So What I love, I watched the Jane Goodall movie on hope, and she was saying how, I think through, you know, as human beings, we really care about seeing ourselves through story. And so one of the beautiful things about Jane Goodall and, you know, the bonobo apes and so many of these other things is that we can see ourselves through that and that creates this um, immediate spark for conservation. And so also in your paintings, I think there was one of a tiger, I'm forgetting, there was one really beautiful one you showed me at dinner. Um, and I, I think through that, it evokes a a desire for some people of conservation and protection. So you're probably already doing it in what you're choosing to paint about in subtle ways. And there's always bigger ways that we can step into as well. But um, yeah, I'm sure, I just want to say that I think you you already are, you know.
1: Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so are you? You definitely. Like yeah,
0: yeah.
1: All right. Well, speaking of animals, I think you got to go get your dog.
0: Yep, Zeus is <laughs> just about done with Small and Shy, day camp.
1: There you go. Talk
0: about fucking privilege. My Bernadoodle goes to a socialization camp called Small and Shy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I got one of those dogs too. We got, yeah. we got one. Yeah. Um, well cool thanks for being on the show this has been awesome um yeah we've been following along with your journey Haley loves everything you put out she's like she gets very inspired by it but as I know that tons of people out there as well are are doing so keep it up
0: thanks Taylor Haley's doing some cool stuff too hell yeah she definitely is (laughs) (laughs) All all right thanks for having me
1: Thanks for being here. Cheers. Bye. So that, my friends, was Yana Robinson. She is a mover and shaker in the world. She's doing big things. She's done big things. And I know that she's got really awesome stuff in her future. Um, yeah, that, that was a pleasure. It feels really you know, we're all blessed to get to talk to people like this. This podcast is so much fun for me because I get to interview awesome people with um with great perspectives and uh yeah, it was cool to, to hear hear Yana's perspective on on feminism and like the um it's funny it's almost like the, the yin and the yang or the like the masculine and the feminine elements of feminism. And I really like her perspective on it, that it's just, you know, it's uh, like the essence is is just equal rights. And and that's really, like I, I definitely connected on that part there. And it's so awesome. Like her perspective on like what art is and her art in general is like, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's almost like uh, what I've been looking for for myself for a long time and it, it's, it's like, you just you you have to almost like sacrifice yourself to uh to the art um you know and and in doing so you you show others that it's okay to feel those things and be those things and and have those experiences and and um like you create like art it's so cool like a work of art, a book, a poem. It's like it naturally creates community. And and that's so powerful. Like that's that's what art is. It's like a, you create like a safe space for somebody else to exist in. And you know, like the art can be made hundreds of years ago on the other side of the planet and you still feel like that person gets you or you get them. And in, in that way, it's like a connection is made. And yeah, I think it was Banksy maybe that said something along the lines of uh, art comforts the disturbed, the disturbed and disturbs the comforted or the those comfortable or something like that. And it's cool. It, it is. It's like art shakes up the status quo. It shakes up what is gives another perspective turns them things on their head and then um it can also be really like uh comforting and like a safe space for for someone to exist in and reside in because the world's a crazy place and everybody has has crazy experiences and we need that comforting sometimes so well thank you i want to say thank you to you the listener for um taking your time with this I hope that you've connected within one way or the other this podcast is intended to be an inspiration for you the creative because you are creative um you might be practicing some form of creativity right now um or you might just be playing with it in your head but you know you've got that creative spark that comes through um sometimes or all the time and uh yeah, I, Taylor gallegos fully encourage you to follow it and to pursue it and go after it, push it, question it, see what you can make of it, throw spaghetti at the wall, throw paint on the canvas, throw words on a page. Um, and yeah, kind of like Yana said, or maybe it was someone who's like an advisor to Yana in one way or the other, but um, you don't have to show it to anybody. Like creativity art does not need to be shown to anybody um, to exist and to do what it does for you as the artist. So um, concepts of like good and bad, right or wrong, stuff like that can just be thrown out the window. Like, just, just make art in whatever way it comes through. And that's great. I think that's it. So cheers, everybody.